Thanks for downloading this Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland podcast. For more information on the centre, go to ucd.ie forward slash history forward slash chomi. In this episode, a recording from the medical training, student experience and the transmission of knowledge circa 1800 to 2014 symposium, which took place in the UCD Humanities Institute in October 2014. The symposium was organised by Laura Kelly of University College Dublin and was generously supported by the Irish Research Council and the Wellcome Trust. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. In this episode, a recording from Panel 2, Student Culture and Experience. The paper, Students at the Cork University Dental School and Hospital, 1913-1990, to was given by John Borgonovo of University College Cork. Um, yes, this was a, a, a history um, that was commissioned by the dental school and hospital um, for their centenary anniversary in 2013. And so I'm just going to cover some kind of real broad points um, working off of PowerPoint. Um, and I'm fortunate where my, uh, my co-author, uh, one of my co-authors is here, Professor Dennis O'Malan, who's a professor emeritus um, from UCC. Uh, he's a former chief medical officer of, in Ireland. He's also a former dean of the dental school and also was a particularly well-behaved um, dental student at one stage of his life. Um, just so you, for, for those of you outside of Ireland, um, well, there are two uh, dental schools in the Republic. Um, there are Basically, the dental hospital in Dublin uh, for a while was home for three different dental, pro- uh, dental degree programs. Um, the UCC one is located in uh, Cork, which is the second biggest city of uh, Ireland. It had a population of about 125,000 people. Um, up until relatively recently, it had really high levels of poverty as well. Um, and Cork's also re- relatively self-contained, so it kind of makes it as an interesting um, comparison. Um, the uh, just in terms of the methodology of this paper, um, you know, we did a, a, a bunch of different works, exam papers, records, all kinds of stuff. But um, we were fortunate to have uh, interviews with about eighteen um, former students and staff. Uh, one thing I found very interesting as an outsider was very much this idea of uh, a dental community. Um, Dennis and Tim could go through lists of students for 10, 15, 20 years and know who everybody is, who everybody, where they came from, and where they went. Um, and that was true across the board. So it's very tight kind of cohesion, group cohesion. That's very interesting. Um, so just in terms of dental education, uh, it really, uh, in Ireland, it really was formalized with the uh, 1878 Dentist Act, which set up a dental registry. Um, and basically to be licensed, you had to do a two-year uh, license in dental surgery. And then BDS, Bachelor's in Dental Surgery degrees, came around. They started at Birmingham in 1900. Um, the first one in Ireland was at UCD in 1904. Um, Corks was set up in 1913 by Bertram Wendell, who came over from the University of Birmingham, um, which had set up the first degree program. Uh, and what's interesting about the, the dental degree, the BDS, was uh, it was basically almost done entirely separate from the university. All the licensed dentists in Cork were involved in the dental hospital for the first 20 or 30 years. Up until the 1960s, there were no full-time paid um, lecturers at the dental school. Um, and a lot of those folks would have come out of the old apprenticeship system. There was kind of some overlays. Uh, um, so very much um, from the outset, there was this sense of professional identity very closely associated with the, with the school. The BDS degree... Um, was set up. Uh, basically, there were academic courses uh, completed at UCC on the main campus, and there was a dental teaching hospital set up kind of across town. Um, 
that teaching hospital uh, was attached to the North Charitable Infirmary, the North Infirmary, which really treated the most the poorest people in the city, and it was located in a, a very kind of poor urban working class um, area of town. Um, there was no shortage of patients at the dental hospital ever, um, so uh, the students uh, gained a very good, a lot of chair time, um, and they became very adept at things like extractions and uh, crowns and that kind of stuff. Um, the first uh, the the degree program was four years um, initially, then it eventually became five years. Um, the first two years uh, were kind of pre-dental, and a lot of that was undertaken with medical students. Um, and you had stuff like uh, you know chemistry and physiology, but also you know relevant, very relevant to today was anatomy and dissections. Um, and it's almost kind of talking to folks, it really kind of almost seems like a rite of passage. The idea that you, you dissected um, cadavers. Um, generally, uh, because of the lack of full-time uh, professionally or academically qualified uh, lecturers, um, there was kind of Cork students would have been up for a long period of time would have been relatively weak on dental theory, on theory uh, and kind of advanced and sophisticated dentistry, but they would have been very strong in what they call bread and butter dentistry. So there were no shortage of jobs for them when they got out, and especially in the UK, as I'll explain. Um, so I don't really have any strong uh, student demographic data, um, but I can just, we can make a couple of assumptions. Um, the uh, the degree costs uh, about the same as a, as, a, as a medical degree at the time, so students tend to be from relatively middle class. At the same time, there seem to be kind of a, if you look at students closely, there seem to be a, a degree of upward mobility amongst them. Um, the students were almost exclusively from Munster, especially from Cork. Um, and there's very much it had a cork identity as well. And as the decades went on, uh, you see very much uh, gener multi-generational dentistries. Um, you know, three, four. I think our record is f uh, five generations of dentists um, um, from one family, and that's very common. Uh, a lot of the staff would have had fathers uh, or, or occasionally mothers who were dentists as well. Um, in terms of the student body, uh, the annual uh, graduating class was relatively small for the first 20 or 30 years. Um, it almost completely disappeared in the 30s. Um, I would associate that with the Great Depression, kind of the economic deprivation at the time. Um, but you really see it rise up um, and really expand into the 50s and 60s and 70s. And really, um, after the Second World War, you start seeing the emergence of kind of a new student body and kind of an esprit de corps uh, and really kind of uh, what I would almost like a, this modern dental community that's still very prevalent today. Um, the expansion was driven by the creation of the National Health Service in the UK, uh, which uh, provided free dental uh, treatment, and that created a high demand for dentists in the UK. Um, so uh, enrollment in Cork was actually almost kind of predated the uh, uh, anticipated um, the National Health Service expansion. Uh, it, people had read about it and they immediately enrolled in dentistry. So the, the, the numbers go up, skyrocket quite quickly. Um, and these new graduates almost exclusively, as I'll show, emigrated to the UK, but a lot of them returned. Um, as the new hospital um, expanded, it very much uh, put a, a stress on facilities. Um, the dental hospital was very poorly funded. The whole dental school was very poorly funded. It was a 
a distant relation um, at UCC. As I said, it didn't have any of its own paid full-time staff until the early 60s. Um, the hospital had been uh, was built into a converted butter uh, uh, warehouse in the old butter part of Cork City. Um, and there are stories in the 50s and 60s about uh, you know plaster falling on patients and occasionally visiting uh, dignitaries, um, and uh, really kind of the the facilities became really cramped and they were decrepit. Um, there was very little money for capital investment. Um, everything was run on extremely tight margins, uh, and there was no real library, for example, uh, no cloakroom, um, things like that. Um, although um, there was the place was often so cold. You see a lot of pictures of the students wearing coats. They probably didn't need a cloakroom. Um, the, the situation became so dire that in the early 1960s, uh, the accreditation was almost stripped from the school. Um, uh, a visitation council that gave them four years to get its uh, act together. Uh, you see the same thing. Dublin also had its uh, accreditation threatened. Um, in the same period. UCC Medical School also lost um, accreditation in certain uh, parts of the United States in the same period. So you see kind of a widespread, uh, it's not just confined to the Cork Dental School, it's kind of general to uh, the professional uh, university aspects or components um, where basically the, the third level sector have been so underfunded and under-resourced that it's not keeping up with the international standards and international norms. Um, in UCC, uh, at the Cork Dental School and Hospital, um, there was a concerted campaign to save the school, which I'll get into in a little bit more detail. Um, and that really came from professionals, old graduates, um, students, and community members who were retreated for generations, for years, getting relatively free treatment at the dental hospital. So there were a series of public campaigns to save the school. Um, there were basically uh, there was always the idea that uh, Ireland only needed one dental school and it should be in Dublin because it should be in Dublin. Uh, and, uh, and there's always been kind of a, a, a sense that uh, the, the two schools were threatened each other's existence. So there's always been a little bit of tension there. Um, but the, uh, eventually in the 60s, um, chair, the, there was a, a major investment from the government also part of the, the broader modernization and investment in third-level education in Ireland and basically in education in Ireland during the 60s. Um, so four chairs were created in this period, and you also see um, kind of some investment into the dental hospital facilities, and there's actually even the promise of building a new hospital, but that's going to take a long time, and I'm not really going to get into that battle. Um, the graduates uh, in this expanded, this expanded student body uh, almost exclusively went to the UK, and you have um, some years where entire classes emigrated. Um, so that's, my, that's the sample I constructed, 1960 to 64, 95% of students graduated, uh, and they almost all but one went to the UK. Um, this continued in the 1970s, 1980s, the 1990s, stopped kind of late 90s and the 2000s, it started again. And what you see also is chain migration. And so you see pockets of dental, of cork dentists emerge in parts of the UK, places like Essex, Kent, Brighton, uh, North London. And um, a lot of those uh, dentists, those graduates do come back. Um, almost every dentist I met, every dentist I met 
had had practice at one time in, in, in England, um, and they returned. And as I said, with the Cork graduates, they had such abundant chair time um, treating patients and kind of ordinary dentistry that they were uh, sought after and considered kind of valuable uh, additions to um, dental practices. Now, what's interesting about the emigration, uh, if you've read Endon Delaney's book, is that very few, I didn't really... Everyone I talked to had good experiences when they emigrated. Uh, very few uh, uh, reported any kind of anti-Irish racism. Uh, and that's consistent with Delaney's findings that the, uh, the Irish professionals who emigrated were very much part of an elite. And they, because of their class identity, they escaped a lot of the kind of the, the common um, uh, problems experienced by um, certain um, Irish immigrant classes in the UK. So uh, in terms of gender... Um, Women were uh, were involved and enrolled almost from the outset. Um, the first graduate, the first degrees were awarded um, at the Cork Dental School in 1915, and the first woman graduated in 1917. Um, the first uh, female teacher was in 1923. Um, when the first chairs were created in uh, 1962, one of them, one of the three chairs created in 1962, was uh, went to a woman. Um, so you have very much part of um, the student body experience. Um, the, uh, and that basically kind of continued over the coming years. The, uh, now, that being said, um, one aspect of uh, women's participation is that they were pushed into caring for children and in kind of traditional gendered roles. Um, so the first uh, female teaching on staff uh, was a pediatric uh, dentist teaching, uh, treating children, um, and that you see that kind of a, a general trend. Um, so there is a, a, a specific gender role, um, but it seems to be uh, also um, kind of influenced by traditional gender expectations. What's int- what I find interesting about this, um, the woman's percentage per year uh, taken over kind of these blocks. The 30s are kind of a wash because there's so few students, but it's generally running about 20, 20% in these first decades, and you see a significant drop in the 60s. Uh, and I couldn't really figure that out, but I talked to a couple folks, and basically that was a good year. Uh, that was a time of economic expansion um, in Ireland, and owing to that economic expansion, marriage rates lowered quite a bit, uh, especially among the middle classes. So it seems that that might have taken out a, a chunk of potential uh, women students in the dental school, or at least that's my theory anyway. Uh, but then the kind of the numbers kind of creep back up. Um, in terms of the Catholic Church, uh, the uh, matrons of the dental hospital for its first uh, 60 or so years, 55 years, were nuns um, from the French uh, Sisters of Charity, which was a, a, a medical order. Um, and a lot of the old students report, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, kneeling, kneeling down and saying the rosary. Um, and so, you know, the kind of a Catholic uh, identity, very much part of the school. That being said, um, there were uh, non-Catholic deans from 1932 to 1960. Um, the most prominent uh, family associated with the dental school for its first 50 year were Jewish, who seemed to have been very well integrated into the school. So, uh, you know, it's, and also, um, I've heard reports that uh, when um, the Sister Monica, who's in this picture, when she said the rosary, that there would be a contest by some of the male students who would toss, try to toss plaster, uh, plaster Paris into her big hoop in the back there. So, uh, you know, it's easy to overstate some of that uh, Catholicism. Uh, in terms of student life, 
Um, I just summarize it as less drinking, more dancing. Um, students didn't have uh, high disposable incomes. Um, drinking was expensive. There was also kind of a, a, a relatively uh, advanced uh, sober, sobriety movement among young people in Ireland at the time. Um, and uh, women basically weren't going to pubs in this period as well. So, you know, a way to meet uh, ladies was to go to the dances, and there was all kinds of dancing. So the, there was at the UCC main restaurant every Sunday night was a dance. Folks also report going to a lot of the middle class, like the, the Lee Rowan Club or the rugby clubs, um, so very much part of the class divide within the city. Um, the student body was uh, relatively segregated at the same time. You had a men's club and a ladies' club. Uh, the ladies' club was significantly smaller and more Spartan. Um, and uh, what another kind of, uh, we were able to put together a sample from about 1958 to 62, and we found that 40% of women graduates of the Corp Dental School married fellow dentists, fellow classmates. So it's really high ratio there. Um, and then just kind of continuing, um, in the Cork show, in the show band era in Cork, we had a very strong dental student identity. Um, the main concert promoters were dental, former dental students, um, and they attributed their success to making very um, deliberate outreaches to dental students, or to actually students in, period, uh, in general. So they offered free concessions, they ran buses to UCC, uh, but the idea was to bring in um, university uh, women university students in order to attract a reasonable, respectable uh, male population. And uh, the other thing about these dances, you know, you'd have maybe 1,000, 1,500 people. Uh, these were held on Wednesday nights to fill kind of empty dance night on the calendar because there are dances pretty much every night in town. Um, and there were non-alcoholic events, so it's very much part of it. Um, and we had successive campaigns to save the dental school. Uh, it took about 20 years for a dental, new dental hospital to be made, and that um, faced severe government attempts to uh, block the building and actually to uh, bury the school. And it was saved um, really by student activists. Um, so 38,000 petitions were collected. Um, there were two one-day strikes by the, the, by the students um, protesting uh, the condition of the dental hospital. Um, and... Uh, Two of those, both of those strikes were echoed by um, Dublin dental students. And what's interesting is this, this is very much part of kind of broader politicization of Irish uh, third level students, university students during this period. And I've talked to people about, you know, if it would be whether a, a similar mobilization would be popular now, would be possible now. A lot of people will question whether it would be. Um, but the student activism were very much essential to the uh, maintenance of the school and the protection of the school. Um, the student body changed. Uh, international students began arriving in the 1980s. Uh, today, about a third of the graduates are from outside of Ireland. Um, the first wave came from the um, Gulf states, Bahrain, UAE, Kuwait. Um, later waves came from Malaysia, Botswana. Uh, more recently, um, owing to the high costs of medical education in North America, we've gotten a lot of people from um, the United States and from Canada. And there's a reciproc reciprocation of degrees with Canada. Um, but this Traffic is an all one way. A, a number of the Cork faculty have gotten jobs in the Mideast, or have also, a lot of people have just gone out on an external or gone out on advisory board. So they're very much a, a kind of a two way traffic with some of these um, Cork trained dentists who've gone uh, back to their home countries. And then I'm going to kind of close out with um, we should also keep in mind, as we heard earlier, uh, that 
uh, dental nursing and hygiene um, are all part of this as well. Ireland was late internationally um, setting up dental nursing programs. Uh, the, the became more common really in the 40s and 50s, um, and ours was set up in 1971. Dental hygiene not until 1993. Um, an interesting aspect of it is um, all but one graduate have been women. So I'm one male graduate. So that's just, uh, I don't know, take that home. Um, and uh, the, um, the teaching staff as a result are all women, or I think they're all women. Um, and that has basically kind of corrected a gender imbalance within the faculty. So you now have very much women are, are very much part of the ordinary um, life in the dental hospital in the teaching environment. And uh, another kind of important part of this too is this is very much uh, val it adds value to the uh, dental BDS degree experience because basically you have the whole uh, practice team together in one place so it's kind of integrating all kinds of different things um, so I'll just kind of conclude by saying that uh, there's been very little study of dentistry in general, dental education in general. Um, there's been very little literature devoted to it. Um, and dentists always kind of consider themselves poor relations uh, to, um, to uh, medicine. Um, and that's also kind of uh, seen also in some of the interviews. They talk about kind of feeling uh, like uh, kind of they were recognized as almost inferior um, uh, to the medics at a certain point, or they were perceived by the medics as being inferiors. But uh, you know, dentistry has been out there for a long time. It's it's international, and my experience is that they offer a really um, compelling and uh, intriguing comparisons with medical students, and we should start looking at them a little more closely. So, thank you very much.